Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Wednesday, we're going to talk some USC Trojan football. We got fall camp in full swing. Eight practices are down. I guess 21 more to go. We want to talk with uh, Dan Weber, and you guys have sent in a ton of questions for Dan. Uh, today, over the last week or so, we got voicemail questions, text messages. We've got lots of emails. If you want to email us, send us a question, podcast at uscfootball.com. Dot com, or you can call us at 424-254-9141. You can text us there, too. Leave a voicemail or send us a text. Uh, we do love to hear from you, and we did get a lot, lot, lot of questions uh, from this first week of fall camp. And luckily, Dan Weber was out there at every practice. We're going to talk to him about all of those. Uh, if you want to download the show, uh, you can do it or subscribe on iTunes, itunes.com slash Podcast. We're on all the different podcasting platforms like Stitcher Radio and TuneIn Radio and Audio Boom and uh, Google Play. So if you can't find us, just Google Peristyle Podcast and you should be able to get us uh, anywhere you go, any device you have. And we do appreciate all the feedback and all the positive reviews you leave us on iTunes and the other uh, services. All right. Well, we have so much to get to. We don't really have any time to mess around. We got to just talk to Dan Weber. What is up, Dan? How are you doing? Um. Doing pretty good. Uh, it's a hot and heavy week. Six straight uh, practices Monday through Saturday. Uh, so uh, I know Clay uh, said he wanted to get it kind of into the game week uh, rhythm. Uh, they're going to take off every Sunday. Uh, we got to go to a Monday workout that we don't normally get to see, which is kind of a very light, uh, you know, something like on a walkthrough uh, basis. Heavy practice on Tuesday. So uh, Clay's really about uh, getting things as regular and as routine as possible. It really worked last year, and uh, they're already in it this year. It doesn't quite seem as much like fall camp as uh, this is a mock game week, mock game week, mock game week, mock game week four or something like that uh, because they, uh, they really like this is our routine, this is how we're going to do it, whether it's fall camp or – you know, the week of the Texas game. Uh, and so uh, you get you get a sense that it doesn't seem as much like camp. It more seems like uh, uh, we're already in the season, in season. Yeah, it does feel like, I think, you know, it was funny, the element yesterday, Dan, that felt like camp when they were doing the calisthenics after practice, Good that boy. felt a little more <laughs> camp-like. But for everything else, you're right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, and that was a shocker. Okay, that was out of the blue. I think uh, I think they wanted the. I think they had a message that they wanted the freshmen to pick up, and they just decided. Uh, I think it was building a little bit, and uh, I just think they they figured this is a really good time to do this. So uh, so I think we were all. Plus, I think the players probably were just about as. Uh, as surprised as well. Uh, it was it was an interesting moment. Yeah, it certainly was. Well, okay, so we have a lot of questions, so we're going to just have to jump right in. 
We're going to try to get to all of them. Hopefully we can. We'll try to do a little bit shorter stuff uh, for some of our answers today. But uh, let's start off with Tito up in Portland, Oregon. He said, first time writing the podcast and would like to say, thanks for all the news updates on USC football. My three-year-old son and I enjoy and always look forward to your podcast every week. Wow, that's great. I didn't know three-year-olds listen, but that's uh, wow. starting early. I like that, Tito. He said, so my question for Dan is, how is it? how's the position battle between Marlon Tuipolotu and Josh Fatu going so far for the first-team reps? Well, I thought it was interesting. Uh, he mentioned that position uh, yesterday to Clay, and he, uh, he talked about Marlon, and then he talked about uh, uh, Brandon Peely, uh, another uh, freshman, uh, a new a freshman who was not here early, 340-pound, uh, you know, athlete who can uh, slam dunk a basketball, and uh, he's really made waves. And then he mentioned, uh, then he mentioned Josh. So, um, uh, and I think, uh, I think uh, you were, was it you? Your question, uh, it might have been Shotguns was asking about Kenny Bigelow yeah, and shotgun. coming back from his two knee surgeries. But I thought it was interesting that uh, uh, they all mentioned Marlon first, and, and Marlon has been uh, the you know taking the first team reps. Uh, but Brandon is uh, Keeley is uh, is pushing his way in there, so uh, uh, pretty impressive. Uh, we were talking to I guess Vianney yesterday, and we said uh, pretty different. Uh, you've got a couple of eighteen year olds in there now. Last year you had, and he said, yeah, we had an old man. <laughs> you know, they had 25-year-old Stevie Tui Kalavatu uh, in that spot, and now you've got two uh, uh, true freshmen uh, that are kind of taking the, you know, the first uh, the first reps there. So, but yeah, I think Marlon is uh, what he did this spring. Uh, he solidified himself with he's going to be on the field. Uh, I don't think there's any question. He is a uh, does not look like a freshman. Doesn't play like a freshman. Uh, so. Uh, so he's uh, uh, he, that was a great, great late switch uh, to get him. Uh, you know, you get the Oregon kid uh, to switch from Washington. That's almost the perfect recruit because he ends up not playing, a, you know, for either Oregon or Washington, and he ends up playing for USC. So you don't have to play against him. Uh, it, recruiting doesn't get any better than that uh, than that flip of Marlin. Let's uh, stick with the defensive line. We have a voicemail question. I believe this is the right one. Hopefully I'm right. Here you go. Hello, fellas. Uh, my name is Al from uh, Pennsylvania. I have three questions about the uh, scrimmage. Was the offense that good, or does the defense need uh, help physically? Two, uh, did the def- offensive line blow away the defensive line? And three, did the quarterback have all day to throw? I hope all three answers are no, but I had to ask. Fight on and have a good day. Thank you. Good questions from Pennsylvania. Uh, I think it was the first time we saw the offensive line really uh, attack, and uh, I thought that was that was good. I thought I, I would have given the uh, the nod on offense to the running backs. I thought they just had a really good day, and that's. That's what you want to see. They were uh, they were athletic. The offensive line was athletic, uh, and uh, so you know that would uh, and and it's again it's it's kind of a one of those deals where 
it's a, I guess it's a zero sum game because if the offense plays great, do you say, oh, what's the you know problem with the defense or whatever? Uh, I think it was the first time that the offense had an, had the advantage, uh, you know, against the defense. Uh, are they giving uh, uh, Sam uh, time? They are batting down some. Uh, you know, he got two bat downs, so uh, time is is a different you know dimension when it comes to Sam because uh, you know you just don't get to him. He's just. Uh, but but I think they were uh, they were close, uh, and I thought pass protection was pretty good. They don't take a lot of time. Now, this is not a team that that is looking for, uh, you know, even when they throw the ball deep, what they try to do is they try to set you up with uh, with the run game, try to get you coming up to your secondary to come up and help, and then get somebody deep, but get them deep quick. Uh, you know, they're not looking for, for you know, plays that, that, that take a long time to develop. And I'm trying to think what was the, the third question, Ryan, about the, uh, about the line. Uh, I think it was uh, in terms of the physicality. I don't think the uh, offensive line is ever going to blow away the, you know this defensive line. I just think they they attack them uh you know quickly, smartly, but I think the 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 uh the big difference was the ability of the backs to take advantage of uh of what they uh of what they saw at the line of scrimmage. And it just was, you know, a combination. Hey, they're pretty good. I mean, uh, you know, when you have uh uh the combination of Sam Darnold and Ronald Jones, and then you get a kid like Stephen Carr, who is a freshman. I mean, I think there will be people now arguing that okay, he wasn't just the second best prospect in the uh, country last year; he was the best prospect. Uh, so that's a pretty good, uh, you know, that's a pretty good load uh, for that offense to throw at the defense, and it's really the first time they've had the upper hand. So, uh, so I think it was, uh, that was a good day. And I don't think that was all that that much of a negative on on the defensive line or the defense in general, you know, in, in terms of their physicality. But it was a day that you know the defense has to say, okay, now what are we going to do, you know, to uh, to answer that? But uh, you know, I think uh, I thought it was a good day for the offense to step up, but uh, not one of those ones where uh oh the defense is in, in trouble now at all. No, I don't think that was the case uh, even a little bit. Let's go to a text question, Dan. Uh, Brittany, class of 2012, uh, thanks for writing in, Brittany. She said, there's a lot of talk about the offensive line, but can you talk about how the defensive line is progressing, specifically how Rasheem Green looks? And she said uh, she's interested as her dad wore number 94 when he was at USC. So cool, wow. Brittany. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Darby. Except, Dar- uh, Darby is sorry her last about, name. He had to be a uh, class of 2012. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, when you get to get, get involved with USC football, the thing you do not want to hear is 2012. Yes. Uh, <laughs> President Nakia stopped by practice the other day and he mentioned, uh, the class, the 2012 season. So, uh, uh, that's one that, that, that nobody's gonna forget. Uh, in terms of the, the, you know, Rasheem Green, he's, he, you know, he's 275 pounds. He's leaned out a little bit. He just, he's so athletic. Uh, it, I, I'm gonna be interested to see, uh, if he, 
he, you get the sense that this is the year he's going to really assert himself, and, and you know, physically, and 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 make those kinds of plays that make you think, "Wow, look at." Uh, but but I don't know that they're they're exactly to the place that they want to be in terms of how they're going to to you know do some things. They're still, I think, really you know. I mean, they know all the things that Clan- that they want to do with Clancy's defense. We don't always get to see them because, uh, like yesterday, they they lined up to give them an odd front look, uh, you know, uh, uh, just because you know. Well, you're going to see this some this year, and uh, we might not play it as much, but uh, but we'll, we may play it some and and all that. So you don't always get uh, an exact sense of how it's going to play out once they uh, once the season starts, but. Uh, He's. Uh, I think his quickness uh, is is really apparent, and his his technique. He's. Uh, I think he's really been listening to uh, uh, Kanichi and uh, really working on his hands, for example, and uh, just doing all those things that you want to see a guy that's you know six uh, six five two seventy five who who just looks like uh, you know he. He's as, he could be as good a player as as USC's had in a, in, in, a, in a few years if he uh, if he just really uh, you know steps it up in terms of just pushing himself and uh, and becomes that kind of a player. But but I'm pretty encouraged about uh, you know where Rashin could be this year. Sticking on the defensive line, our buddy Nick in Cyprus, uh, aka Big Nick Twenty One USC, says, "How well has Kenny Bam Bam Bigelow played?" Well, I think, you know, he's missed an awful lot of time. Uh, he's had the two knee surgeries. Uh, he's shown an awful lot of leadership, I think. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's leaned out, uh, a little like Rashima. He's probably 285, but he's not, he's not anywhere as big as, as he was when he came in at first. Uh, and I think, it, you know, taking a little bit of time you know, to get himself back into, you know, into the swing of things. And he's at a position where you've got, uh, you know, those two freshmen we talked about, Marlon and, uh, and, uh, and Brandon. And then, uh, uh, you've got Josh, uh, Fatu. So it's a crowded position, uh, at nose. Uh, and I, I think, I, I, you know, whether he, and when he, you know, comes back into, you know, say, okay, this is the Kenny Bigelow that, you know, coming out of high school was, was so highly ranked and all that. I think the thing that, that he does so well is he's been such a great leader. He was such a, you know, when he was injured and all the things that he does, uh, you know, not in terms of the playing field, but just in terms of being on this team and being a mature, uh, you know, guy who, who really has, uh, his, his terrific leadership ability and all that. And I think, you know, they really respect him. They really like him. He like, he just loves being a part of this, you know, program and, uh, you know, in the school. And so, uh, so we'll see. I mean, I just think it isn't going to happen right away when you've missed as much time as, as Kenny's missed. But, uh, but, uh, you know, he's going to get his chance. And, and I think, you know, everybody is pulling. For him to be able to to really be a be a contributor, and I don't think that's out of the question at all. We have uh, our buddy Bear Secutor. He said, "Seems to me that Marlon Tuipolotu's trajectory as a freshman is rising faster, even than BLW's." So he's talking about Big Leonard Williams. Uh, did agree or disagree, and why? And would you say? 
And what would you say after observing the coaching staff for several seasons that explains Coach Pendergast's high regard for Coach Bradford? That's from Bear Secutor. <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, uh, Coach uh, Pendergast and, uh, and Coach Bradford worked together a couple of places, I guess the NFL and at Cal. And uh, I just think it's one of those, uh, uh, you know, very uh, – comfortable situations he knows what i want him to do he knows what i need him to do uh and the the personalities work well together uh i think this is a cha- this is a big year for uh you know for coach bradford to really uh show that uh you know this is he's uh that the busts are gone that the uh you know, that the coverage is, they're not giving up anything and they're not going to give you, if you're going to score on this team, you've got to earn it. And, 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 and obviously, you know, in games last year, the, uh, um, uh, the Stanford, I mean, we won't even talk about Alabama, but Stanford game gave them, gave up a couple of busts for long touchdowns. The, uh, the Utah game, there were some issues in, in coverage that, uh, probably cost USC that game on a couple of scoring drives. And in the Penn State game, you know, there were crazy plays, unusual plays, but there were things given up uh, by the secondary that were like, wow, how did that happen? So, uh, so yeah, I think, uh, uh, you know, I think, I think it'll be interesting to watch that that development in terms of, you know, Coach Bradford and how that all, how he works with, with Clancy's, uh, uh, defense. As far as, uh, Marlon, boy, you're putting him in big company when you talk about his trajectory with, uh, with, uh, uh Big Leonard Williams. There was an athleticism about Leonard that you can't coach, you can't teach, you can't, it just was there. A uh, big man, uh, that active, that, uh, able to, to just flow to the play, um, it's hard. And, and I, I with, with Marlon, I'm not even talking about trajectory. Marlon was there from like day one. I mean, he just walked in the door, and you thought, "Wow, look at look at this kid." Uh, he does not look like a freshman. Uh, I think the uh, the fact that he was the heavyweight wrestling, you know, super heavyweight wrestling champ, and all that, he's got such a low. Uh, low center, low base, low center of gravity. Uh, his pad level is, is just great. Uh, but he's a different kind of player from, from Leonard, Leonard Williams. So I, uh, in a, in a, in a different position. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think he's, you know, I just hesitate to put anybody in there. I mean, since I've been here, uh, maybe Sean Cody, uh, he had, as a freshman, uh, you know, that same kind of, you know, impact with, uh, that, uh, that Big Leonard Williams had. If, you know, if, if Marlon's even close to that, they have had a really, really, you know, wonderful recruiting, you know, uh, year this year on the defensive line. And that's not counting, uh, Brandon and, and Jay Tufele, who I think they also thought has, uh, now, he wasn't here in the spring, but but they think he's made some big, uh, you know, big taking some big steps here recently as well. So uh, so however that works, uh, uh, Marlon's really Marlon's pretty good. Um, 
Sticking along that front seven, how is Oluwale Batiku and Connor Murphy looking, and do you expect both to contribute this year? That's from Tom. Well, oh, okay. Uh, Clay said, jumped on Connor and said uh, he was one of the two people that they, they came out of the scrimmage with uh, uh, Clay mentioning Yuchenna, and which is pretty impressive considering Yuchenna had, had a, a kind of an ankle thing that, uh, you know, middle of the week. So uh, for him to come out and, and look as good as he did. But the other guy he mentioned was Connor Murphy. Connor was just standing in there. He's uh, he's got great ability at 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 six seven. It's not always that easy to stand in there and just really hold your ground. I mean, you're you're such a target, and uh, you know for you know for blockers. And he was uh, he was was quite impressive. Although Wally didn't get to go, uh, he missed probably three days, I guess, with that turf toe. And I know it's frustrating to him. I know he was walking around the other day with the first time it happened with his shoe off and just not, not pleased at all. He was back yesterday and I think, you know, they've done what they've done other times and with a, with a new shoe and a process, you know, something. And, and with turf toe, there are no like perfect answers, uh, as to, you know, this is what it, what, what's going to happen. And it, it often happens to guys like Alawali or Trey Madden, really strong, quick, strong, athletic guys who maybe put more pressure on that, you know, on those, on those feet and uh, on those, you know, toes than, than almost the body is designed to handle. And so uh, uh, we'll see. He, Alawali's not where he wants to be yet and probably not, not where they want him to be yet and where they need him to be. So he's... Uh, He's somebody that, that the next four weeks I think are going to re- be really important uh, for, real real important. Let's see. Um, let's move to, we'll go to a text message again. Uh, he said, this is from Brandon in Vegas. He says, how has Clayton Johnston looked at left tackle with the ones? Uh, fight on from Vegas. He looks like he belongs. I mean, he's... Uh, he was kind of a lean, sort of a 280 pounder on a six foot. Uh, I think they listed him at maybe six five last year. He said he's six six now. So at six six and three oh four, he looks like a left tackle at USC. He just looks like that guy, and he's been. Uh, he works like crazy. He's very serious about what he's doing, and uh, uh, I think you know he's there to stay. Now, obviously, he's you know he's. Uh, He's alternating with Toa Lobendon, who was alternating with Nico at center. And, and so they, you know, when, when Toa's not center, he moves out and, uh, takes, uh, some snaps at left tackle. When Nico's not at center, he moves out and takes some snaps at right tackle. I think they, the way they're doing it, everybody's getting plenty of snaps because they're running mm-hmm. a lot of plays. Uh, they've got a lot of bodies. Uh, they want to see a lot of kids do a lot of things, but, uh, but I'm real. Uh, I'm really impressed with him. I think he's uh, he he looks like uh, you know. And we saw him in the spring, and he started you know catching your eye. And I know he said he was really uh, you know working with the coaches, getting feedback. Uh, just all of a sudden, he's he's not the guy you know that we saw the first two years. He just is all of a sudden kind of grown up grown into the position and he looks like he belongs so uh he's been a he's been a really uh you know the spring and 
and then now he's been a, a real positive development for this program. Let's see. Let's go to um, talk about Stephen Carr a little bit because we got a lot of questions about that. Uh, do you see any Ezekiel Elliott and Stephen Carr? Clay Helton made the, that comparison in his recruiting press conference. No, I don't as much. I, Stephen looks like, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott is just like this force of nature and just this, you know, uh, taken off from the, you know, the, the get-go and just blasting through. I think I look at, I look at Stephen and Stephen's, uh, more, I think, cerebral in terms of how he runs. He runs different ways. I mean, he'll, you know, you'll see him take, you know, three or four quick, very much under control, small steps. And then all of a sudden, he's got a chance either with a crossover or just, uh, you know, the seam opens out wider than it looks like. And so he just uh, elongates his stride. And his ability to do that, uh, to change the way he he moves, is I think it's fairly unique uh, that that he can go and 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 take it you know two different ways on the same run. Uh, I think uh, uh, Delan McCullough yesterday was talking about, and and I remember this in looking at his video that uh, Stephen was kind of an upright runner uh, and you know fairly uh, you know no who was it uh, the the Rams uh, Dickerson uh, you know was that kind of a guy. And uh, and now he's not. And I guess they had a, a long conversation. They've been working on it to cut down his profile and run lower and, and give less of a target and get behind his pants more. And, you know, from the first practice, uh, you know, in fall camp to now, he's changed the way he runs the football. I mean, that's almost you just don't see people that can do that. But but he's very much into uh, you know being coached. He's really a coachable kid. He listens and uh, and he he reacts and uh, it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, I'm I'm uh, I can't can't say how impressed uh, I am. I mean, you don't see kids who come out of high school who are super running backs who can also pass block and also catch the ball. The way he does, and he does, he already did those things well. And then to see what he's doing in terms of his running technique, he hasn't lost the ball yet. Uh, you know, hasn't given it up in any way, shape, or form. He doesn't look like a freshman, and uh, he looks like a great recruit. Uh, they, uh, you could not be happier with uh, somebody than than USC is with uh, with Stephen Carr. You mentioned uh, Dylan McCullough. Paul and Santa Clarita had a couple running back questions. First one was, what have you seen from Coach Dylan McCullough that made you say to yourself, I can see why he had so much success at Indiana. And if I'm not mistaken, Dan, his former uh, running back at Atlanta is now going to be like the highest paid running back in the league, if I'm not, if I saw that right this morning. Well, I missed that. I mean, obviously they like, you know, his. he said, uh, you know, a series of those kids, one, two, three. He's very believable. These guys, I mean, he sat down with Ronald Jones and they discussed, you know, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to, how do you want to run the ball? How do you want to, you know, where do you want to be? And, and they decided, you know, I probably need to be 205 pounds. I probably need to be stronger 
up top. I want to be able to shed some people at the line of scrimmage. And uh, that's where Ronald is now. Ronald, you know, said, hey, I, you know, I agree with you, Coach. He has a unique way of, uh, of talking to players, and uh, he has a, neat, uh, a good way of having them be able to visualize things. I thought, you know, yesterday Ronald had this, this terrific inside-out run off tackle for a touchdown for about 30 yards, and the only guy that got a hand on him was the safety. And um, they're talking about uh, Deland really works on visualization so that you already know when you're lined up where where you're going to be at the second at the second level that that you could see okay that seam is going to be there and so now you're already thinking about where I'm going to be at that next level the other thing we're seeing is they're hitting the holds quicker some of that is because the offensive line you've got you know smaller people but quicker people more athletic people and it, it it's going together really well but uh, but he does drills that we haven't seen before uh, and uh, that really incorporate, they're not drill drills, they're game action drills, and they get guys to make full-speed decisions while they're doing a drill uh, that are very comparable to the kind of decisions uh, that you make in games. But, but he, he has an expression, uh, run through the trash, and he really, I think, has been you know successful in his career in getting guys to run through people. I mean, it just to... Uh, you know, make the, he, he said he doesn't want them running on a hundred percent instinct. He wants them, uh, all ready to have a picture in their head before the play, before the ball snap as to how the play is going to develop so that, you know, they're, they're kind of re, rerunning that tape in their head. And, and it's not like everything's just happening, you know, at the last second and they've got to, you know, improvise as they go. Uh, he's, uh, He's a good one. I, 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 you know, Clay did a, you know, for, for somebody that they didn't have any connection to, any history with, uh, to come up with, uh, you know, a guy who was a high school principal, you know, in Cincinnati at a charter school, at Intercity Charter School, uh, he's just uh, he, a terrific hire, and uh, you just can't say enough good things about uh, about the land. Uh, and it was my bad. It was that Devonta Freeman actually got the he got a five year extension at Atlanta. Okay. Tevin Coleman is the uh, other running back there, so he's uh, you know, he's obviously had. Uh, I mean, he's going to be in the running for it. It looks like uh, yeah. after his freshman, you know, after his rookie season, he he's going to be right there. Yeah, he had uh, this was so it was, it was his uh, second season last year, and he had eight touchdowns. Uh, so it was a pretty good, pretty good year for Coleman. And that was but. that was with the Bears, right? Was he the Bears or was he the Atlanta? No, he was Which, the Atlanta. What? Yeah. He's got one at Atlanta, and he had the the probably the best rookie uh, with uh, with the Bears last year, I guess. So he's he's had three oh, in the three other years. One, yeah. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I, and I lose track of who all those guys are. I mean, when you get a kid, you know, when they were able to run the ball at Indiana, for example, you know, against people with far superior, uh, you know, physical talent in that league, uh, you know. He's doing something right. I mean, they're just you know they they ran the ball against Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State. Now that's that's uh, that's pretty impressive stuff. The other question from Paul was: I recall in that summer of 2005, there was a buzz about how good Reggie Bush looked, and obviously he went on to win the Heisman. There seems to be some 
Same type of buzz starting for Rojo this summer. Can you provide some comparisons between Reggie in the summer of 2005 and Rojo now? That's Paul in Santa Clarita. Uh, Paul, that's interesting. Uh, Rojo and I had that conversation yesterday after practice. Because I said, you know, at 205 pounds, I said, you're probably exactly where Reggie was. I said, you're a little taller than he was. But I said, you really look like you enjoy running the ball up inside. And I said, that was the great thing. People didn't under, didn't realize it. Uh, they started every practice on offense with Reggie running the ball up into the A-gap and just blasting up in there. He loved it. Uh, you know, didn't always do it that much in the games. You had, uh, you know, Lindell, you know, to take care of a lot of that stuff. But, uh, but I said, now that you're 205, You've got some of the same, uh, you've got that ability off that one cut, that plant foot. And I said, I think, you know, you, you worked on your upper body stuff and, you know, being able to shed linebackers when you're going through and run through people. But I said, I think you've really, uh, you know, you've really hit the weights hard. I think you've really got, uh, that kind of explosive one, you know, one plant and push that Reggie had. And he said, were you here when Reggie was here? Did you get to see Reggie? And I said, yeah, yeah, every day at practice. And he was like really excited that, you know, there is something about when you, you mentioned Reggie Bush. Uh, but I think, you know, we're seeing some things, uh, you know, it, it, it probably, uh, like with Big Leonard Williams, with Reggie Bush, you probably should really, uh, restrain comparisons, uh, there. But, um, but he is doing some things that, the 30-yard touchdown that he ran in, in team run yesterday happened so quickly and was so like, you know, and that was against the first defense. And it was boom, and he's gone, and there was nothing you could do. And the safety got a touch on him, but that was it. And that's when you start thinking, huh, I've kind of seen that before. And obviously with Reggie, you had the pass receiving, you had the, you know, the, the return game and all that kind of thing. But uh, but there are some things about Rojo that's 205-pound Rojo who really seems to have taken to all the coaching that, that's there and worked on his hands and has made some big catches already in that, that you say, okay, I don't think it would be terrible to make that uh, comparison in those areas where where it's legitimate. And, and there may be some where, where it really is, but, but he... Uh, He's working at it, and he's pretty good. Keith in Oakland also want to know about Rojo's ability to catch the ball out of the backfield and pass block. Uh, what confidence do the coaches have in his ability to do those things? Much more confidence because they've seen him work at it. They've seen him done an awful lot of work on the jugs machines in the summer, and he may have made the best catch of the of the fall camp you know, to this point. Uh, so, uh, you know, that in traffic uh I tried to say it was like the you know inside the five yard line, stayed inbound, was getting hit all the way, and uh, and it just cradled the ball in with uh, you know real soft hands up uh, you know up against his chest and uh, in the you know in midair, and uh, it was a play it wasn't even possible to imagine that he could have made the first two years. So just the confidence that uh, you know Sam had throwing it to him. And the confidence he had that, you know, he would go up and get it. Uh, it just, uh, you know, so he's a lot, 
he's a lot different and a lot improved. And, uh, you know, I, I think there's a lot of pressure. I mean, uh, uh, Vivai Malapai and, and Stephen Carr catch the ball really well. Aka Cedric Ware catches the ball really well. I just think it was one of those, you want to be at every down back. If you want to be out there, you've got to catch it and you got to pass, uh, pass protect. And, uh, I think, it, you know, that's the kind of thing a kid, you know, when he's going into that junior year says, you know, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta figure out how and I gotta work at it and I gotta listen to my coach. And, uh, I think all that's happened. And then his other question was, who do you think most likely a red shirt this year? Who are the red shirt candidates? I, I will defer to, uh, 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 Colin Cowherd, who is the uh, well-known uh, recruiting analyst, uh, who is absolutely convinced that 12 of the freshmen are going to play. And, and I, I don't think anybody would have thought that coming in. I, you know, I mean, I think people were thinking, you know, we don't really need, you know, if you're a USC guy, you're thinking, well, we don't need that many freshmen to play. Maybe, you know, they obviously Marlin after the spring was going to play. But, uh, you just look around and you you think they you, they don't need to play, but probably they have to play just because of of their you know ability and their potential and that that you know you want to you know have that kind of a you know well-rounded team. I mean, I think people before yesterday's practice might have said, you know, Eric, we got two freshman tight ends, uh, maybe Eric Kromenhuk, and then he goes and, and and runs a deep pattern yesterday and with three of the tight ends are not uh, are out and he runs this deep pattern you know for a 35 yard touchdown pass and you thought wow he, he maybe he was going to be the Taylor McNamara guy the you know the, the the tough blocking uh you know guy and here he is uh you know getting deep and, and catching a touchdown pass so uh I I would say it's still a little bit early uh some obviously will uh, you know, red shirt, but I don't think, you know, I don't think probably attaching names to red shirts yet is, is the way necessarily to go. Uh, I just think, uh, there's enough fluidity and, you know, injuries will be a factor. And, uh, you know, those guys still have almost four weeks to step up and, and say, uh, you know, you got to put me on the field. Uh, I think with the USC now, uh, the level of recruiting, let's say, of last year's class is such that you could make a case that, uh, you know, a lot of these kids are going to be um, um, three, potentially three-year players and gone. So redshirting kids like that doesn't always help you. Uh, you know, maybe with Sam, uh, you know, you could say, well, it's a good thing. He really had a good year as a scout team guy. You know, but then you look back and you say, God, so you're only going to have him for two years. Uh, so, you know, will one of the, you know, will Jack Sears just because he's, uh, you know, Clay was mentioning the other day that the fact that he does have a red shirt available will be in your mind when you're thinking, how do we, how do we uh, structure the backup and all, and all of that? But, uh, but you could make a case that an awful lot of these kids are not going to red. I think it's easier to almost make the case for the ones that aren't going to redshirt uh, than the ones that are. 
Um, yeah, I talked to uh, Tyson Helton about Jack Sears a little bit too, and uh, it's funny. He said Sam Darnold has some impact on who's the backup quarterback because that's part of you know a lot of what he's got to do is determine a backup quarterback. But like you said, it just seems a bit logical that Fink will be there and they can redshirt Sears. But um, anything can happen. Who knows? We'll see. I'll have that up a little bit later today. The uh, my uh, conversation with Tyson Helton. Um, we got a couple quick ones from Tarek Dan. Who do you see as the best candidates to be kick returners and punt returners? Well, I think they were down to about four on the punt return yesterday, and maybe five if you count uh, Teron Sidney got in there at the end. But uh, uh, Jack Jones and uh, Velas Jones and Stephen Mitchell, and I'm trying to think, who was the fourth one? Uh, but uh, as far as I was concerned, I think it's Jack Jones and Velas Jones. Uh, I think Deontay Burnett, because of his sure-handedness, but I don't think you need him to take that pounding. I think you might do that if it's one of those ones where you really need, you know, you just want to catch it, and that's all you want to do. But uh, but I think it's the Jones, uh, the Jones boys, uh, Velas and uh, and Jack, would be my uh, my uh, uh, punt returners. I think they kind of like a Jenny Harris as a kickoff return guy. Just a real solid, uh, you know, going to catch it and, and, and get the yards that are there. But I would think also you're going to factor in Velas and Jack as just the home run hitters. Uh, so I, I have a, more of a fix on the punt returners. The kickoff returners, you know, it's not as difficult as a catch, and you're not in traffic. And the ball's not twisting away and all that kind of thing. So, uh, so, uh, I think the kickoff return is, is pretty wide open. Uh, punt return, I think, uh, we're talking to two Joneses. And then, uh, he also wanted to know, seems like Achille Ross is having a great camp. Think he'll see the field? If so, where? I think, uh, slot to start with, a nickel. If they have to move a Jenny, let's say you need another corner and you decide, you know, the best candidate is a Jenny, uh, and they would move a Jenny to corner, then I think Achilles would be at, uh, would be at the, uh, nickel. And, uh, he's a guy that they talk about as, uh, the classic, uh, he's got cornerback speed and he's got, uh, safety size. So he's that, you know, that guy that you could look at at all three spots. And, uh, and, and maybe they, they will as the year goes on. But, uh, but yeah, I think he's, he's got a determination about him this year that, that we haven't really seen. And, uh, he's a good athlete. He's, uh, he's a tough kid and he'll be there somewhere. Uh, I think you'll see him somewhere. We see him, you know, he shows up on the radar now. Uh, and he didn't always do that. He, I think he really wants to, as he said, you know, he's cleared his mind and he just goes out there and plays. And uh, Jenny Harris has been a real mentor, you know, for him. And, uh, he's a, he, he's the guy that everybody likes so much just because he was so darn athletic. And, you know, I know Gerard thought he was one of the best prospects that, that he's seen in, in a good while. So I think it sometimes it takes a year or two, but, uh, but I think this is, you know, this is the year you're going to see him somewhere. Terry in Las Vegas wrote in, he said, last week you indicated the possibility that with so many talented receivers, we could see four or more receivers get playing time in games. Uh, I've 
often heard you and others explain how important it is for the quarterback and receivers to develop an effective rapport with each other. Is it possible for Donald to achieve that level of rapport with more than the two or three starting receivers? Thanks for all the great work, Tarion. They run enough plays, I think. that's uh, They're getting enough in practice, I think. Uh, I mean, still haven't seen, like, uh, Josh or Mater, baby. Still hasn't gotten a chance. Uh, you know, I'm still not 100% sure what exactly uh, is holding him back in terms of, you know, physically. But uh, but I think we're starting to see uh, some rapport with, uh, say, a Jody Lewis, uh, who uh, made another just sensational catch yesterday, which uh, it took Sam some real – you really had – I mean, Jack Jones was right there, and Sam had to really believe in Jody's ability to, to catch the ball. I think uh, Jack Jones just was, uh, you know, after the play was over, just said, what a heck of a catch, and uh, way to go. Uh, and it was, uh, so, so I think that's starting, you know, to develop at, you know, at that next level of guys. Uh, he clearly, I think, has that, you know, obviously with, the, with Deontay. Uh, I think Tyler Vaughn started with it this year. He was right there and they, they, you know, they believe that. And I think with Jalen Green. So the, that first group that they've been running in there. And then you almost have to count Michael Pittman as part of that group. So, now that's four, and if Jody Lewis, you know, becomes five, and then uh, what they're trying to do is develop the the long ball uh, ability of Velas Jones to get behind people, and he's made a couple of big plays where you really got to be, uh, you know, on the same page with the quarterback. So, so yeah, I think I think they do have the ability. I think he could get six guys uh, pretty much in sync with with Sam, but. They have to work at it. It takes time. They got to do it in practice. Uh, you've got to incorporate those those long play, you know, those long bombs, and that takes some doing because it takes a little bit out of everybody. It takes time, uh, but uh, but I think they're you can see them develop devoting the time, uh, you know, to getting that uh, you know getting those guys all on the same page, and uh, I think I think we are seeing that happen. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's just limited to the I mean, they, there is so much, you know, shuffling of guys in and out and, uh, rotation that, uh, that I, I think that the concept of just two or three guys is, is kind of, for USC football, it's kind of out of date. I, I just, I think it, it, it's probably never going to be just two or three guys, or it shouldn't be. Uh, they need to run enough plays and, and give them enough chance that, that you get, you know, four or five maybe even six guys that you're really, uh, you know, comfortable with, and, and so is Sam. We got, uh, let's see, Jason in Longhorn Country. Uh, it's a little long. He said, thanks for all the great work. It's emails for Dan. After Friday and Saturday's reports, I'm starting to get concerns about our defense. Rojo's two-play score from the 10 on Friday, Rojo's 25-yard touchdown run without being touched, and all of Carr's touchdown runs on Saturday seem to imply a lack of physicality and discipline slash gap integrity by our defense. With our offense running the ball with such ease, it seems that this would be cause for concern when playing a team like Stanford, who I assume will have a better offensive line than ours. In addition, the fact that our DBs seem to be losing 50-50 balls to our receivers is also concerning. Uh, we're looking at Texas, uh, that, you know, might be the, they might have the best deep ball passer in the country. When you combine, uh, that with their six foot six athletic receiver and 
Colin Johnson. Uh, it appears this could be a McSorley slash Godwin nightmare all over again. I was talking about um, Steve Buschel, um, that the the Texas right. quarterback. Stanford and Texas appear to be easily uh, losable games if our defense does not pick it up. I'd be interested to get your thoughts. Thanks again. Fight on, Jason in Longhorn Country. Uh, man, Jason's going to be a long uh, six weeks, I think. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, just because Stephen Carr makes uh, you know a really good run or Rojo is able to power it in doesn't mean that the defense is going to – I mean, you know, if, if, if they didn't do that, you'd be worried about the offense. So uh, I, I would take that – I tend to look at it as uh, I, I look at it on the positive side that that the uh, you know the offense was asserting itself. Are there uh, yeah some issues that uh, you know the defense has to clear up? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think when you know when they when they go into games, you know where you've got a really specific game plan. Uh, I think I think that's a different situation from what we see you know on the practice field because they don't. They don't turn them loose in the exact same way. You don't coach them up in the exact same way that you would, you know, for a game, and and you would, you know, shut somebody down. Uh, so, uh, you know, the fact that that Stephen Carr, you know, makes this uh, miraculous uh, crossover uh, transition step, and instead of going one way, he's going the other way. That's one of those. Okay, you know. It happened. It wasn't like it was, uh, you know, that, that that Saquon Barkley run where he ran through, you know, seven missed tackles. Uh, you know, it was quick and a quick hitter. Uh, and Rojo is going to make those kind of runs every once in a while. I mean, he just, uh, you know, he's he's that good. So I I look at it more that way. But yeah, are there things that you know that uh, say a Porter Gustin? you know, can work on in terms of, you know, uh, playing the edge? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, are there, you know, linebackers who sometimes get caught up uh, looking one way and, and maybe don't get there? But, for example, yesterday, they threw the ball deep middle from about 35, I guess, uh, and I'm trying to think who the receiver was, just about to cross the goal line. Here comes the ball, and all of a sudden a guy comes and knocks the thing down, and I'm thinking, wow, is that, is that one of those freshman safeties? A big kid, six four, who was, or you know, at least it looked like it. And then you realize, no, that was Cam Smith, and you're thinking, wow, he's not running like he ran last year. He's running like well, I don't even know if he ran like that as a freshman. But so there are there are sides that you really are you know can be positive about you know with the defense, uh, and so I would not. I would not worry about you know that any of those matchups. I think I think the thing at USC you want them to have an advantage going into those games with Stanford and, and Texas, for example, is you want the USC offense to really be able to assert itself, and you want it doing the kind of things that it's doing, and to the point where uh, where a Stanford just can't. Uh, score with you, and uh, you don't want Stanford to be able to just play their game, but make them play your game, which is why you want to see this, you know, high-powered offense that uh, that Stanford can't keep up with. I think the Texas matchup, I do think they've got some, you know, athletes, and especially in offense and the tackle and the quarterback and the big receiver. 
But I think the Texas matchup problem is Texas's defense. Uh, if I were going to worry about a defense in the Texas-USC game, the defense I'm worried about is probably the Texas defense. I just think after you watched them last year, I just don't know how that defense can be better enough to play against this USC offense. So, so that's what I would I would try to go that route, and and maybe if that would help me uh, get some sleep in Longhorn Country, worried about how this game is going to turn out. I think uh, I think the matchups are are pretty good in, in USC's favor. I, I really do. I think that they the defense will be enough. To uh, to stalemate people, and uh, and I don't think you're ever going to see the combination of craziness that happened in the Rose Bowl. Uh, I mean, you could easily you know have a scenario where where Penn State scored four fewer touchdowns, and you know they only got. I think that's the thing people don't realize. USC ran 88 plays in the in the Rose Bowl. Penn State ran 62. So I mean there. You know, without the the flukes and the crazy bounces and you know a call or two and and some of the stuff that happened, uh, you know, it w- would not have been a dramatic finish. It would have been, you know, a pretty uh, one-sided uh, affair. But uh, I doubt that's going to happen again. There's stuff happening in that game you you may never see again. And so, so I would not worry. Uh, that was on Valus Jones. Uh... So Cam Smith came all the way back. I got tweets about that too, Dan. They're like, why is, uh, Cam Smith covering, you know, Valus? It's like, he wasn't the main cover guy. He was helping out, you know, and he got all the way right. back there. So it was, uh, uh, it was, it was kind of good. Uh, yeah. You can look at it both ways. You can say, Oh, where was the safety? But the second thing you could look at, this, so this is me. I look at it and say, wow, you got a middle linebacker that can get 35 yards deep and knows where the ball is. Uh, so. That's where I'll, I'll take that out of it and let them figure out what happened to the safety. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We got one from Stephen Poway. He said, Hey, Ryan and Dan or Keely. Uh, by the way, it's great to have Keely on board full time. She's a great addition to the team and does a great job with post practice interviews, et cetera. Fight on Keely. Um, yeah, thanks. So Keely's been doing a good job. We'll try to get her back in studio for the podcast. It's been a little nutty. Um, during fall camp, but we'll try to do that on a regular basis. Uh, but despite- right, Keely still has to work her way through after practice, uh, signing all the autographs. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> she does have a following now. I'll say that, and she's so good. And uh, the, so, uh, what a pleasure to to get to work with uh, with Keely after practice. Yeah, she's been great. So we're happy for her. Graduate, she's now a graduate and uh, doing work for us. So we're happy about it. But he said it seems obvious that if Jack Sears ends up as the number two quarterback on the roster, that he would likely join a ton of other true freshmen and play this season. However, the more difficult decision would be if he's listed at number three, but without a lot of separation between him and Matt Fink. Say they are listed as or on the roster, which I could see that being the case. It's USC. Uh, given the likelihood that Sam Darnold will leave for the NFL after this year, do you think it would make sense to burn Sears' red shirt in case and play him in this season so we can have that experience for next year? And does JT Daniels' recent commitment for the class of 2019 change the equation at all. Uh, have you heard any inklings from either Coach Helton uh, on this? Stephen Poway. Well, I think that uh, not the JT Daniels. You can't talk about that. But the uh, inkling that we got was that uh, that uh, that Jack might be a candidate to redshirt. 
that that they're thinking that I mean they felt like uh, Sam got as um, as much out of that red shirt uh, where he was a scout team quarterback. Uh, it certainly didn't hold him back, uh, you know, from stepping in when he did, and uh, you know, as a as a red shirt freshman last year. So, so I think if you look at that model, they're probably thinking. Uh, there's an awful lot to be said uh, to have the kind of freshman year that Sam had, where every day you're going against the first defense and going hard and making plays, and Sam did. And uh, I think they might look at that as as a better model for getting, uh, say, a Jack Sears ready than a model that would have him, you know, doing some mop-up duty, but not necessarily, you know, uh, getting the kind of, you know, critical on the field in-game experience. So USC hasn't been very good. At, I mean, USC's done a better job of working with the scout team guy and getting him ready than it has in the mop-up guy during games. So, so right now, if you had to bet, you would think that, uh, and, and again, this is completely, and, 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 and they are very trustworthy in terms of, who deserves it based on uh, practice play? This is not a team that maybe determines how much time you get on the field by how they recruited you or where you were from or what your, you know, clippings are, all that. That Recruiting does not factor into this. This will basically be a, a performance uh, issue. And if, uh, if push comes to shove, my guess would be, let's say they're really close, my guess would be Matt's used his red shirt uh, and, and Jack hasn't, and Jack would be the guy who would get all the snaps with the, uh, uh, you know, with the scout team. But again, that can change. There's still, you know, four weeks, and I think they're still going to count those first three weeks of home games as a time when freshmen get a chance to prove themselves. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of time, you know, for them to, you know, figure, factor this all in and, and figure it out. And, uh, uh, but that would be, I think, the way uh, things are kind of leaning right now. Speaking of redshirting, Anthony L.A. says, Hello, Paris Style. Great work, you guys. It's great uh, to see and hear you on a daily basis, the excitement and national attention this football team is getting in the media. Dan, we have a very talented freshman class who came in, and it's been almost a tradition with this staff uh, to recommend redshirting these new players. But I seriously believe that the Trojans would be doing themselves a disservice if that happened. Stephen Carr, Joseph Lewis, etc., especially with a college football playoff or bust bar that's been set. Uh, what do you guys think? So I, I think we kind of talked about this, but Anthony in L.A., I thought you'd get a chance yeah, to react. they're not going to re- – I mean, uh, it's interesting, all the interest in redshirting. They're, I mean, I know people, you know, get uh, invested in these freshmen, and I don't blame you. And You haven't seen them, but you know – you know, you kind of get a real sense about them, and I'm, I'm glad that's what we're trying to do. Uh, but, uh, I'm not, I'm not looking at redshirting a lot of those guys. I mean, there are a lot of freshmen that, that you just mentioned their names and you think, you know, I think uh, like a hard call might be, uh, let's say Randall Grimes. Uh, is he, do they have enough receivers? You know, last year you had the four seniors. So, or you've had the four guys who were on their way out and, they were they were going to get their sh- their shots, and there were some, you know, true freshmen who redshirted last year who probably wouldn't redshirt in most other years. 
Uh, are there guys like that? You know, maybe. Uh, but, um, uh, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think redshirting right now is something that they're really thinking about. I think they're trying to think, you know, who has to be in the rotation, who has to, you know, who could help us win football games this year. And, uh, I think that's the, that's the thing they're, they're most thinking about. And I just don't think they've gotten to the point where, where they're, they're, uh, you know, really focused on, uh, how the red shirting is going to go. I just think it's, you know, who can get on the field, who can get the rotation, uh, give them enough time to, to have a, a real opportunity and then, uh, and then go from there. But, uh, but yeah, I, I just don't think that's a big, uh, uh, consideration right now in terms of the red shirting. It probably, it is a quarterback. Uh, but after that, I just think just, you know, letting it go. And that, you know, just to follow up on the Jack Sears stuff, um, you know, talking to Tyson Helton about it yesterday, um, you know, the backup, that role, you know, it's an important, uh, role and you want to get some experience. And to be fair, and I asked them about this, USC has been fairly horrible about getting the backup quarterback experience. Yes, they have. They've been really, I mean, Max Brown, it was such a disservice that he'd never had any real playing time. So he said he'd like, he said, that's always the goal. That's what you want to do. Um, but I, you know, if, if people feel like Jack Sears is going to be the guy next year, um, you know, but thinks ahead, which I still think he is, I don't think they're going to remove the red shirt just because of that. I mean, they'll try to get whoever the backup is playing time. Think, you know, if, you know, right now it'd be Fink. Um, and he said that's the goal, but just historically, USC has been really bad at that, Dan. Right. It hasn't been the greatest deal to be the backup quarterback at USC. That doesn't necessarily, I mean, you had to, you had to, you know, chart it. Uh, Sam Darnold had a far better year as a freshman redshirt running the scout team than Max did as a backup. Uh, and, you know, and if you had to choose between the two, you'd have said, gee, I'd rather be Sam. He really got to do some things and, and got better. And, uh, so, so yeah, I don't necessarily know that, you know, it would be, uh, but you do want somebody who's maybe a little more mature, a little closer. I mean, they really have a lot of decisions to make in terms of if you're the quarterback at a pro-style team that runs tempo, you've got to do so many things at the line of scrimmage. And they have developed more and more to, uh, uh, to Sam's skill set. So, for example, the way the offense is running now, there are so many, uh, uh, you know, decisions that the quarterback has to make, uh, at the line of scrimmage. And that's asking a ton from a true freshman. That's really, really, really asking a lot. And you probably wouldn't want to try to go back too far from that if you have to put somebody in there. So, so I do think maybe the transition is a little bit easier. You know, for Matt, who has grown up, he has gotten bigger and stronger, more mature, and he's been in the system. Uh, it's just the, you know, maybe at the start of last year, it wouldn't have been as much of a, you know, a deal for a true freshman because they weren't asking as much, uh, you know, from the quarterback at the line of scrimmage. But the way last year evolved, uh, it just, you know, became more and more, uh, evident that, you know, that they wanted the quarterback to, a lot of things at the line of scrimmage because Sam could do it 
and that worked that worked best. The next guy in line is going to be a challenge to be able to you know replicate that as much as possible, or a real challenge even for you know for a very talented freshman who was here in the spring. It still would be uh, you know that's asking a lot. Let's see. Uh, we'll do a voicemail question, Dan. Here you go. Hey, Ryan. This is Sir Eric of Troy from Rancho Cucamonga. I've got a question for um, you or Dan Weber. Um, I received the email from the sports radio saying that they will no longer have an affiliation with USC football this upcoming season. Um, I'm wondering what happened uh, because I really enjoyed listening to uh, Arpagas and the guys up in the booth. Uh, on the sports radio during the game. Uh, is there going to be something to replace that, or are we just going to do without from now on, or what? I was really disappointed when I heard that. So I was wondering if maybe you could shed some light on that for myself and the other listeners who will be affected by it. Thanks a lot. Fight on, guys. Uh, looking forward to seeing you this season. You know, I, I've heard this. We haven't followed up on it. I really don't know what that means. Uh, I'm not I, sure what I, the sports Ryan. radio means. Like, what what is the sports radio? Like, it must maybe it's a local station where he is because they, you know, like they're still going to have it on 710 in Los Angeles, but maybe right. the station in his local market won't be carrying it anymore because they used to have a whole. I, bunch I don't of know. Stuff. USC had a deal with ESPN nationally, uh, a national sports radio deal, and I don't know if that's affected. We'll follow that up today and, and find out. But I, had also, I heard this once before from somebody else that something changed about, you know, the radio situation. I don't think it's changed at all, you know, for the, you know, 710 and the flagship station and what have you. I, I don't know if there are, you know, did a, did one station drop out in the network or, or is there a, a you know, a change in the way ESPN structures it? Nationally, don't know, but we'll find out. That's a that's a good question, and and I don't know what it means for 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 you know for you, sir Eric. I I, I really don't. Yeah, There's a little more specific. Uh, I wasn't sure, but um, yeah, we'll we'll try to find out what's going on with that. If they maybe they cut back on some of the stations, I'm just not really sure. You know, I did I heard I remember hearing something actually, Dan, last year about they might have been adding more fees or like, you know, there, there's other markets like Palm Springs. There's other uh, places right. that would carry the USC games and maybe it costs more. So some of those stations are dropping it. I, we'll try to find out what's going on with that. Um, John and Brea, he said, as a fan, after seeing the video Stanford put out, I have the Stanford game circled and I'm sure Clay <coughs> Hilton does too, but certainly wouldn't admit it. Do you, do you get a sense that Clay is past all that? quote, we want to be like Stanford stuff from the beginning of the season last year. Sometimes I feel Stanford is baiting USC into trying to beat them at their own game. Do you think Clay believes the Trojans can beat Stanford by being USC? Thanks and fight on, John and Brea. Yeah, he better. He better believe that. I mean, there were some good things about uh, the, the good thing, I mean, that you liked about Stanford is Stanford beat you by being Stanford. They knew who they were. And how they did what they did, and they believed in it completely, and they just always, you know, felt like it's going to work out. And for all kinds of reasons, uh, you know, in seven of the last nine years, it has. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think USC goes into the Stanford game and should go into the Stanford game saying, you can't beat us. We're better than you. 
we've got more weapons, and and we're going to be you know able to do what we do better than what you know what you do, and we match up better. Uh, that attitude hasn't existed. Uh, I still don't think they understand uh, that uh, first year when Sark went into Stanford. And USC ended up winning, and, and uh, what was it? Stanford was inside 36 different times and didn't score. And uh, you know, so even the, the you know the one game USC won, it was like, gee, how do how do we do that? Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, I think Stanford's the perfect you know game to set the tone and say that you know we are not going to let you uh, you know what you do isn't going to be good enough to beat us with what we do and and your athletes aren't good enough to beat our athletes uh do we have to be as smart as you do we have to be as uh you know as tough as you as physical as you as well coached as you absolutely and then we're going to be better we're going to have more players who can do more things i mean i think that's the that's got to be the attitude but uh, you know it's not that you want to be stanford you want to be usc and and dominate uh because you're usc and that you know who you are and how you play, I mean, a big part of, you know, what's been happening, obviously, USC, you know, didn't have enough players always, uh, and didn't have enough continuity in the coaching, and they didn't have a sense of who are, I mean, who was USC, you know, when, uh, when Clay, or when, 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 uh, when Pete was leaving, who was USC? Who were they with, you know, with Lane? Who were they with Sark? You know, I mean, it wasn't like, okay, this is USC football. Well, what is USC football? Uh, that wasn't that clear. Even last year, I think went into that game very tentative, very much like, boy, can we stay on the field? You know, they've got Christian McCaffrey. You know, we don't. Uh, the, the, it was the wrong attitude. That was a that 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 game may have been more disappointing even than the Alabama game. I thought uh, it was an eminently winnable game, and it just there was a, a you know, a feeling after that Sanford game, like, you know, the, the, the air had really gone out of the balloon. I mean, it was just poor. Uh, the good news was it forced, you know, what happened with Sam, with his team, where they practice, the way they do what they do. And, and this is completely not, not the, the team that played Stanford at Stanford last year. And you hope that they understand and show Stanford that, this isn't the same team. This is now we're, you know, we are saying, you know, the USC kids saying to themselves, we are USC. This is who we are. This is how we do it. And uh, we'll see who, who uh, you know, comes out of this game. But, I mean, it's great to have that game, uh, you know, second game of the year. I mean, it's just it's going to uh, tell you an awful lot about this team, these coaches, and, uh, you know, what they've, uh, what they've put together. And, it it ought to be good enough, but uh, it, you know, saying that you got to do it, and uh, we'll see. But uh, will they have forgotten that game, or will they? No, they they they're going to see that video. I'll guarantee you, they're going to see that video. And David Shaw, I asked him about it at the Pac-12 Media Day, and he was pretty good about sliding off of that. I don't think they, you know, people who covered Stanford were like. Wow, how did you see that? Where did that, you know? And I said, well, they they put it out. I mean, it wasn't something that somebody else put out, and um, uh, and it was about Stanford. They were trying to say, this is who Stanford is. This is who we are. But 
they used the uh, USC AM as an example, as the example. And I think USC will use that as the example about this is not who we are. And we'll, you know, we'll be a different team when we play this year. But, but, uh, yeah, the, that Stanford game is, I think it's a big game for Coach Shelton. Big, big game for them to go in there and say, you know, this is our program. This is how our program works. And this is how we stack up, you know, against the Stanford that, that's had a long, a lot of years under, uh, you know, Harbaugh and David Shaw to, uh, to become the kind of program they are. We got one last one for you, Dan. Um, and we, we actually had other kind of, I put in the generic question box. They weren't for you specifically. So I'll try to get to those, uh, later in the week or we'll get to those at a different time. But we had so many this week. We wanted to make sure we got all the ones. At least we're addressed to Dan. Um, he said, this is from Dan also. He said, thanks to Dan for his memories about John McKay. Coach McKay used to hang out after practices at Julie's an off-campus restaurant on Figueroa that used to be where the credit union building is now. John McKay had his own table and would draw plays on the tablecloth, and he was accessible to anyone. Does Coach Helton or any of the assistant coaches have a hangout on or around campus? And also, Coach McKay started coaching at USC in 1960 when it was still uh, single platoon football with two-way players. In 1962, when he won his first national championship, we had three platoons. One for offense, one for defense, and one that went two ways because you could substitute a player once a quarter. This innovation helped to start the two-platoon system. Do current coaches do anything that could be considered innovative? Uh, thanks and fight on. Dan from USC Class of 1962, and he said, thanks for all the Trader Joe's radio ads. You have some of the humorous ones. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Well, like, you know, I, I'm always fascinated, and I know you. we've heard those stories at you know, being at Julie's after practice, and I'm thinking, here we are after practice, and we're just thrilled to death if we're out of there by, you know, after writing, uh, we're out of there by, you know, 10 o'clock, and we're thinking, gosh, that's great. And you do wonder, because you, you remember that, uh, yeah, the writers used to go over there and hang out at, you know, at John's booth and, and, and all that, and it just was, must have been a simpler time. Uh, you know, in terms of how everything worked, because it's hard to visualize how that would work today. Uh, first of all, uh, if you were a coach, you couldn't trust most of the media anyway, uh, if they were sitting at your booth. Uh, uh, it's just a different world. And secondly, we, we really don't have the time, I, I don't think. So, uh, but it, it's just fascinating to, to, to read about, you know, read those stories and, and, and how that was. Just such a different time. In terms of the innovation, yeah, I remember back in those days, uh, LSU uh, had something they called the Chinese Bandits. They had, you know, an offense and a defense, and then this third group. And teams were doing things to try to, you know, when they were going from single platoon to, you know, two-way players uh, uh, to dividing up the platoons and all that. You know, it was uh, an interesting time to be, you know, part of that. In terms of innovation for this, this group of coaches, uh, I think they're gonna, the, the way they're gonna run the offense, I think with, uh, with a lot of the principles, uh, that, uh, Tyson Helton, uh, brought with, uh, with him from Western Kentucky, and I think that, uh, Jeff Brom, who, uh, just got the Purdue job, was, 
was kind of a cutting-edge offensive coach. And some of the things that Western Kentucky has done, uh, you know, they, they went two straight years uh, in the top 25, which is absolutely impossible uh, for somebody like me who grew up in Kentucky and knows, you know, what Western Kentucky, uh, you know, has in terms of, you know, a football program. Uh, they are doing some uh, some great things. And I think the blending it with what uh, what – in terms of T. Martin and how he sees the offense and all that, I think you will see, I mean, just the, you know, the offense that scored 52 points against uh, Penn State, against a really good, uh, good defense, athletic, uh, you know, active, really well coached. That's the kind of thing I think you're going to see, uh, you know, uh, and the, the, the ability to both run the ball and pass it and, and, and to make things work one off the other and all of that. I think that may be, you know, the way this uh, this uh, team will be remembered, this USC maybe uh, staff, uh, of basically uh, quarterbacks. Uh, you've got, you know, Clay was a quarterback, T was a quarterback, Tyson was a quarterback. And so you've got a lot of quarterback, quarterback minds, and they are very fortunate that they have Sam Darnold to make it work. And so, you know, I think that might be, the, you know, the one place you're going to see them uh, advance the, the game of football. You know, they're still going to be pro style, but they're going to have a lot of up-tempo uh, spread elements. And so it's, a, it's kind of a hybrid, kind of a hybrid offense. And uh, so I think if I had to say one thing is going to you pull out and say that's what they do a little differently that's what they do a little differently and a little innovatively. And uh, people will start looking at it and saying, you know, maybe we need to try to do to try to do some of that ourselves. All right, Dan. Well, hour and 17 minutes or so, and we didn't even wow. get to all everything that uh, – but, yeah, good stuff. I mean, so many questions, so much going on at USC Fall Camp. Um, but thank you for coming on and uh, – and spending some time with the folks before we head out to practice a little bit later this afternoon. Yep, a lot of questions because, I mean, that's what fall camp's about, answering questions. And, and they're not all answered yet, but uh, everybody's got them. Yeah. So uh, this is where we are. I would say most aren't answered yet, but there's, you know, we, we're getting some information from out, you know, out there and observations and seeing how things turn out. The one thing, I'll, I'll kind of leave you guys with this. Um, I talked to Chris Brown yesterday. I should have a story coming up too. And I uh, just tried to, you know, get him off the record afterwards a little bit, just chatting about the, the positions because right now you have him at left guard. You have Vianney Talamaival at right guard. That's pretty set. Chuma Doga most likely is going to be the right tackle, you would say. So like three positions set, but there's three players kind of for the other two. Clayton Johnston, who's playing left tackle. Toa Lobendon, who's playing left tackle and center. And then Nico Fala playing center and right tackle. And, you know, Nico Fala was the starting center for their nine-game winning streak. You would think he would just be the center, but, you know, he's not been the regular center. They've been kind of going back and forth. If he doesn't end up being the center, I don't see him surplanting Chuma Doga at right, guard, at right tackle. He's likely out. Um, I don't think, he, you know, where's he going to go? He's not practicing anywhere else. Where, like, Toa Lobodon, if he's not the center, he'll likely be the left tackle and Clayton Johnston would be out. But, um, that's kind of one really interesting thing to watch. I thought maybe Monday, Dan, that they would kind of solidify things a little more, but it's still that kind of rotation. Has that surprised you? Like, uh, I'll give you this 
parting shot before we get off? Well, I think they are just so focused on they want a uh, veteran senior uh, center. And so they are absolutely not going to be caught. And we, we, we talked a lot about Stanford. They're not going to be caught in that situation, uh, you know, with, uh, with uh, Cyrus Hobby, I guess, was, uh, if you remember, when he got inserted in that Stanford game uh, a few years back. And, you know, wasn't a regular, hadn't played there. And, uh, you know, essentially just having uh, somebody new at one position cost them the game. They're not going to do that. They're going to have either Nico or Toa at center. And, and Toa, you know, Nico's had some back issues. Toa's had the knee issues. And uh, so they're going to, you know, have both of them train like crazy there. Uh, I think they're handling it well in practice. It doesn't seem to be any kind of, of a, a distraction. I think Vianney's in the middle of that. And he said, well, he said, you know, I've got, they said, I, you know, I don't know until we come out, you know, and they don't even huddle. But he said, you just, you know, I might have Nico on one side or Toa. And on the other side, I might have Nico. And he said, you know, they've been playing together for four years and uh, no big deal. They just feel like, I think that the way they're approaching it, it is no big deal. It's just they are bound and determined they're going to have a veteran center and somebody that's in charge. And Nico and Toa both. Uh, are perfectly, you know, suited for that role with, uh, you know, with all their experience and, and, and their personalities. And then they're going to figure out everything else from that. But, um, uh, you know, I like the idea that they're, you know, we are not going to have an inexperienced center this year. We're not going to, you know, put, put us in that position. And they're doing whatever it takes to, to make sure and the way they're doing it, I think they're doing it really well. It, 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 it sounds like, gosh, is this going to work? But, uh, uh, you know, they're going to have a, an experienced center, and, and that's, the, that's the key. And uh, they seem to be able to handle it. I mean, you don't get any – I mean, I, you're not seeing I – mean, last year we saw bus in the line of, at the line of scrimmage. We saw unblocked guys. We're not seeing that this year. Uh, we're seeing hats on, on, uh, on, on defensive linemen and linebackers. Uh, and that wasn't the case last year. So, so I, you know, from what I, what I can tell, they look like they're, uh, they're, they're handling this really well. So, uh, the, the only concern would be then, Dan, is if it's follow that's going to be the center, um, are you worried that Lobendon's not getting enough left tackle time? Cause that's not where he's played much. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and I, uh, you know, we still, you know, you have almost four weeks, so uh, there's still plenty of time. Uh, and and you would also think, you know, is there another place for Nico that he hasn't been working at? If you decide, well, you know, absolutely Chuma, and I think Clay said the other day that Chuma had, you know, best practice he's ever had at USC. So, uh, you know, you don't think you're going to have him, you know, off the field. You know, is there? Is there a spot at guard, you know, for, uh, you know, for Nico, you know, if he's not at center? Is there, you know, a guard spot uh, that he hasn't been working at? Uh, you know, how they, how do they do this? Uh, I don't know. I, I like, I like what I'm seeing of Clayton Johnson. Uh, there, there's no question about that. And is there another spot for Toa? You know, I think the question would be, whichever one doesn't start at, um, at center, is there another spot other than two tackle spots? Because if you end up saying, "Oh, I really like what Clayton Johnson's doing," really like what uh, 
you know, what Chuma is doing. Or if you say, as Clay said, you know, after the first three games, maybe Austin Jackson and Andrew Voorhees are able to challenge, uh, you know, for a couple of those spots. I think we may be seeing, uh, uh, you know, a mix and match situation that, that kind of goes through the whole year, uh, you know, that, that eventually they get enough reps at wherever they're going to end up uh, and that by cross-training and all of that, they, they like the idea of cross-training and they think that's a plus. So uh, this is, I mean, it's different. We haven't seen this before. So, uh, I mean, I don't know that I've ever remembered a team where you have two centers. Uh, that's usually kind of locked in. Uh, so uh, we'll see how this goes. It's, it's kind of interesting. All right, Dan, great stuff. Uh, man, I just added another seven minutes to our podcast. Sorry, but I wanted to talk <laughs> about this. <laughs> but thanks again. We'll see you out there later on. Yeah, there's an awful lot to talk about, so we, we won't hesitate to talk. All right. Well, that's uh, Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. I uh, hope you guys are enjoying all of our uscfootball.com coverage. Tons of it, putting up lots and lots of content on the site. Uh, hope you guys are enjoying it, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 